Imagine More is a weekly podcast that explores the stories, passions, successes, and failures of young, unconventional entrepreneurs. Chantel works to uncover the person behind the passion and unpack the ingredients of their entrepreneurial minds. What is it that makes them imagine more? Thanks so much for tuning into the Imagine More podcast and welcome back. Today we are here with Molly Feening. She is the co-founder and co-CEO of Babyators. And y'all, if you have not seen these children aviator sunglasses, they are adorable. They happen to be the best-selling sunglasses brand for babies and kids. And I'm so excited to chat with Molly about her adventure in becoming an entrepreneur. So let's dive in. Hi, Molly. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chantal. How are you doing? I'm great. We're so excited to hear more about babyators. I know I, children aviator sunglasses are adorable, and um, I know all of our listeners are eager to hear about your journey of becoming an, becoming an entrepreneur. So can you kick things off with a little bit about you and uh, how you got started? Yeah, sure. Um, well, my name is Molly Feening. Um, I'm one of the co-founders of Babyator, Babyators. I started it with um, my husband, Ted Feening, and our two college friends, Carolyn and Matthew Gard. We launched Babyators about seven and a half years ago now. Um, our seventh birthday of sales is actually going to be later this month, May 18th. Um, and it took us about six months to you know, incorporate and get the branding and packaging and supply chain up to date. Um, so we technically, I guess, launched October 2010. Um, and it's been a really fun, awesome adventure. And I'm still having a blast, which I, I love. Um, but over the over the life of the business, basically, we've sold about 2 million pairs of sunglasses. Um, we are now retailing in 45 countries uh, and uh, have about 3,000 retail partners. Um, so it's gone from a, a, a sort of very small startup where I'm cold calling stores at our breakfast table <laughs> to um, a pretty widespread um, leading brand, which is it has been awesome and um, very unexpected. That is amazing. The Two million. That's a staggering fact. Did you, okay, so I know a little bit about the backstory, but I'd love to, to, for you to dive in. Um, where did this idea come about when you were with your co-founders and friends? Yeah, sure. Uh, so my husband, Ted, uh, is an aviator for the Marine Corps. He flies, oh, he used to fly fighter pilot, uh, fighter jets, F-18 fighter jets, um, and now flies um, King Air C-130s, I think the number is, um, transport planes. But at the time, in 2010, we were living in Beaufort, South Carolina, and he was uh, in an active duty squadron and deploying regularly. And there's a great tradition uh, in the Marine Corps where after the fam- uh, pilots go on a long training trip or a deployment, um, at their return, all the families get to line up along the flight line um, and literally the jets fly right in and taxi to, you know, 10 feet ahead of them and the jets pop open and the, and the dads and moms get to jump out of the plane and the kids run towards their, their parent or the fiance run towards the the fiance. It's, it's always just an incredibly sweet emotional moment. And, um, I was there with Ted, you know, waiting, waiting for Ted to come home. Uh, at that point we were married with no children and I noticed it was a really sunny day and all the, the planes were flying in in the sky and, 
the parents had sunglasses on to protect their eyes. And the kids actually were commenting how bright it was and they couldn't see the planes and they were squinting and it was hurting their eyes. And um, I mentioned that to Ted on the drive home. Isn't that interesting that, you know, the, the Marine Corps issues aviators for their pilots to protect their eyes and the kids you know, didn't have any. And he said, well, we should make them and call them babyators for baby aviators. And the name made me giggle. And a few days later, we were having dinner with our, our, our college friends, the guards who were consultants at the time and looking to do something entrepreneurial. And they also giggled at the name. And we thought, hmm, I wonder if there's a business model here and not just a cute brand name. Um, so we did a, a, a sort of market analysis survey to to discover what was out there in the market at the time for children's sunglasses and what parents liked about the options and what parents didn't like about the options and uh, basically built our business from those survey results. Um, in particular, two or three core factors, the extreme sort of durability. One of the biggest complaints about sunglasses that existed at the time were that they break, you know, the, the, the sort of cheap plastic pairs. Um, and we actually, you know, sought long and hard to find the most durable material we could for our shades. And it ended up being a BPA free, phthalate free, lead paint free rubber, um, that bends and twists. And, you know, you've seen the shades in person or you can kind of play around and literally turn them to a pretzel and they return to the natural shape. Um, and the other thing is that they, you know, the other complaint was that they get lost. So why am I spending any money, $10, $20, $100 on shades if my son or daughter is going to lose them at the playground? And so when we launched, we actually were like, what if we replace our shades, not just against breakage, but also against loss for free? Mm -hmm. So we really wanted to, to, to start our business customer forward and, and focus on our customers first and foremost. And so we launched with what we call our lost and found guarantee, where we were the first brand to, you know, replace our any product we have um, against loss and breakage. I think that's great. And just even the intentionality of all of that market research before and truly analyzing the marketplace. Um, and I think the the rubber piece is super interesting as well. So were there a lot of other um, baby sunglasses on the market at that point at that time. So at the time, there had a, there were a lot of kids shades. You know, you had your sort of Walmart uh, kind of character focused you know, SpongeBob, Mickey Mouse, cheapy eleven dollar, nine dollar, five dollar shades. You had the kind of more expensive hundred dollar Ray Ban shades for kids, Gucci shades for kids. They're just it's a different it's a different market altogether. There really wasn't um, a space for that kind of high, higher quality mid-range price point. Uh, and, and in terms of the nuts, even kids, in terms of baby, there were really no sunglasses for babies other than that kind of like a almost racket court goggles that kind of had a band and, and went around the head like you'd wear them like goggles, uh, like a sport court, you know what I mean? Um, and they were didn't, you know, they were functional and that they, the kid couldn't get them off their face. Um, but they didn't look particularly comfortable and they certainly are not stylish or not stylish. Um, and I think one thing that we really wanted to do and resonated with parents, uh, right from the start is, is we actually really wanted to make a, a very cute pair of shades that the 
kid put on looked awesome and felt cool. And, you know, we got comments, you know, from day one, wow, these are literally sort of miniature versions of what I'd want to wear. This is something that I'd put on myself if I had a bigger size. And so they liked that it was cool and edgy and not precious and overly twee or baby baby with like crabs or like, you know, mocking, whatever. So, we, you know, we wanted to do a little bit of like a, a cooler a cooler vibe, a more urban vibe um, for the product. I love that. So I'm, I'm picturing you guys sitting around the table talking about this. Um, yeah. You decide you're going to do it. I mean, the production side. So ne- and neither of any of the – you guys and the guards didn't come from a um, manufacturing background. No. Right? Yes. Yeah, I was uh, – I mean, I studied technology and worked for IBM. Um, and then most recently I had been in commercial real estate just investing – as Ted and I moved all over with the military, Ted was a pilot and, and Carolyn and Matthew were, were business consultants and had gone to business school. Um, and so, so much of this journey and, and, you know, especially those first couple of months is just, you know, a, a life lesson. <laughs> it's like business school by experience. All right, what am I doing today? What am I learning today? Um, and it's a huge wave, tidal wave of, 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 new material, new information, new skill sets to hone. Um, and as a result, I think that's one of the things I love most about entrepreneurship is just like oh, tackling, okay, I want to I want to do this. I want to take my company over there. How do I do that? Who do I have to talk to? What do I have to learn? Um, and it's constantly, I mean, I know you know this, I'm sure yourself as an entrepreneur, you're just, every time you pivot or redirect or grow, there's more to learn, more to know about, sort of more mentors to seek out. Um, and uh, you're, you're constantly a, almost like a mini expert in lots of different stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's certainly no guidebook of how to do this one specific thing or I have this problem, what do I do? And it's definitely um, learn by experience and you just kind of go with the flow. I think a lot of our listeners that are interested in starting a company, we hear that you know, like, oh, I don't know all the answers or I don't know everything about this specific industry or niche. And um, you don't have to, you know, you kind of just figure it out. That's the beauty of it. Nobody does. No entrepreneur, not Steve Jobs, not Bill Gates. Nobody knows all those answers up front. It's just a willingness to kind of jump into the big dark ocean and then like learn, you know, like what's the next baby step I have to do? What's the next stroke I have to take to get me to my, you know, the other side or my destination? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So how did you guys split roles? And, and perhaps they've evolved since then, but did you kind of just say, okay, well, this is my strength. This is what I'm going to tackle today. And then naturally it evolved in, evolved into these roles where you guys are at now? Yeah. So, uh, you know, the four, I think it was, it's a particularly unique situation for us since we have four co-founders. Now, some people are entrepreneurs and they start the company alone um, and they are wearing all hats. And some people, maybe it's just you're with one other person and you divvy up responsibility that way. Being four co-founders allowed us to really sort of each kind of focus on a particular area of interest and, and hone that area of expertise. Um, and, and in our situation, all four of us were very um, different people with different skill sets and, 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 um, and, and areas of interest. So, uh, for instance, my partner Carolyn of the four of us is certainly kind of the most detail oriented and able to sit down with a 300 page Macy's EDI manual and read through every single line of direction and 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 
and do it correctly without without fail without exemption without you know getting lots of of you know when we work with Macy's I think one of the um, problems companies run into with major accounts is they get all these chargebacks because they don't follow the manual accurately. Oh, you didn't send it to this distribution center. It didn't have this number on the outside of the box. And we had never got any chargebacks because Carolyn was so perfectly detailed. Um, and I, you know, I'm so blessed to have her as a partner because that is not my strong suit. Um, and my my strength is sort of, you know, I handle kind of the marketing brand voice look feel um, everything from, you know, working with, with you and Margo on the social media side to a PR firm, to uh, photography, digital ad strategy, e-commerce. So I sort of am more the, um, and obviously play a little bit more of the kind of partner that speaks to the outer world about baby gators. Um, so that's, you know, what, what I did even from the beginning and still today, Matthew is certainly the, the numbers guy. He's always done our finances, our budget CFO type role. Um, and he has, um, was one of the, uh, he's the one that actually kind of built the relationship with our factory. So he manages that relationship again, still to, the, to this day, with, along with now, you know, a team member of ours. And then my husband, Ted, since he was an active Marine, he really couldn't work on the day to day since he had a full-time job and couldn't leave it. And, and, um, so he's wonderful at coming in and offering these short bursts of creativity at board meetings. And he is, certainly among the four of us, the, the best kind of charmer people person. And, and, you know, has been tasked in situations where we need to charm people. And, um, and, you know, he goes out and makes friends with everybody and comes back with a deal done. And we're all like, great, that was awesome. Um, and then he's, he's great. He's an idea generator too. So whenever you need someone to brainstorm things with, or come up with funny, cute names or, or new new quirky ideas or product extensions like Ted's your man. So all four of us have, have a, a, a very, um, you know, a, a independent and unique a, a value add to the, to the larger whole. And I think as a unit, the four of us are greater than we each are as individuals for when it comes to baby eaters. And um, so it's, it's been a fun partnership. I love that. And what does the team look like now? Is it, how big is your team? And um, yeah. Yeah. So we've got now about six full-time employees, not counting the four co-founders who work on it probably 75% of their time. Um, and then uh, maybe Ted a little less than that since he still has his full-time job. Um, but uh, what we also have is a great network of, of vendors and partners in addition to our full-time employees. So we have, um, you know, obviously working with you guys on social media, we've got a great PR team. We've got a couple of freelancers that do digital ad strategy for us on Google ads, Facebook, Instagram. Um, we have a wide network of sales reps that Wes Busrow, who manages our wholesale accounts, um, you know, handles um and they go door to door to our independent boutiques to you know tell them you know if they need to restock or what's fresh uh season to season um and then a web design development team that's outsourced so we you know what we've learned from seven years of doing this is and we at one point were a bigger team i think we were 12 or, or 14 at one point but we really find that we're able to flex and pivot and um, adapt to the needs of 
small business and entrepreneurial venture and all the day-to-day changes as a, as like a lean and mean team and then roll up where we need help and work and expertise with very targeted, talented partners. Mm-hmm. That's great. So knowing, I mean, you guys were truly the first in the market that I think was innovative and put the customer first. How has how have you been able to stay innovative um, and now probably a more competitive landscape? Yeah. So that's, I think, you know, a really good question. Something that we ask ourselves every day um, is like, okay, how do we, how do we keep doing what we're doing? Um, uh, I think, you know, first and foremost, you know, from day one, like you mentioned, and something that's been very important to us is figuring out, um, making sure that we are listening to our customer, that we are putting the customer first, that the customer is really at the center of the business. And, you know, one of the five full-time employees we do have or six, um, is, is wholly customer service. So her, Sherry, her sole job is to just interact with, respond to, meet the needs of, communicate the needs to the team of our customers and how they are doing and feeling about our shades and other you know, product extensions. Um, and I think that shows just how much we are customer fate forward and facing just because it's, you know, um, it's a, it's a very big priority for us. Um, so today in today's age, um, of just lots of consumption and lots of information and data and things coming at you, noise coming at you, brands coming at you, what I think personally differentiates a great, strong company for me, um, is one that feels authentic and, you know, walks its talk and puts its customers first. So that's something that I really try to make sure that we do every day as a team and as a company that, you know, what are our brand values? How do we make sure we live those brand values so that people, we are an authentic brand and people see that we're an authentic brand and then continuing to listen to, and then not just listen, but heed and put into practice the feedback we get. So one reason we extended into our ACES brand, which is the six to 11 year old sizing is we've had customers say, all right, I love your shades. My kid is now five or six and can't fit in baby eaters anymore. What do I do? So we launched a a line for tweens because we had these customers that were like, we want your product. um, And we, you know, can't, you can't wear them. Um, So that's, you know, one smaller example. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, even going back to the lost and found and from the get-go, you guys have, you know, that was a true problem and you recognize that and and put that as a practice in the company. I mean, do many people um, claim kind of that lost and found guarantee? So, I mean, the, the irony is, you know, not a lot of people do. A lot less people do than you would think. And the ones who do seek out their free pair and receive their free pair are actually our strongest brand ambassadors and the ones that are most vocal about how great our brand is. So we wish a lot more people would actually take us up on that offer and <laughs> and spread the word about baby eaters and this crazy brand that sends a free pair of shades, you know, if you lose yours. Um, which, you know, again is a is a an example of, you know, for us, we got that idea from our customers. And it's been something that really has been a differentiator for, for us from the rest of our competitors and other children's retail brands outside of the sunglasses landscape. It's a, it's a, it's a, 
an element of the brand that press like to talk about. So it's been a wonderful kind of buzz PR moment, which was unexpected. A lot of like Inc.com did a story on us about how we have greater, you know, LL Bean is known for this great brand customer service, but you know, baby eaters takes it one step forward and actually replaces everything for free. And, and LL Bean is sort of one of our gold standard customer service examples. Um, so it's been a, a byproduct of that. It's has been an unexpected surge in sort of press and companies talking about baby eaters in this in this unique guarantee, which is great. Fun. Well, so I know from working working together that the team, for the most part, is in separate places. And I'd love to dive a little bit into has that been challenging or or actually great because when you're actually working on the business, you're much more intentional about time and where the time's going. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, sure. So I work remotely from home. Um, Ted and I are based in Charleston, South Carolina, and our team and my two partners, Matthew and Carolyn, are based in Atlanta in the Highlands. Um, initially, a, a lot of that started out of just Marine Corps military life necessity. When we launched the company, we were in Beaufort and moving to New York and knew that we couldn't build a team where we lived because we weren't staying rooted in one place. So we built the team where the guards live who are rooted in Atlanta. Matthews was born and raised in Atlanta. And um, and then when we settled in Charleston after our active duty service, and now Ted's a reservist Marine out of Beaufort one day a week, but we're still based in Charleston. Um, it, you know, for the past seven years, I've been a remote, only you know, a remote leader of the team or one of the leaders. Um, and that has certainly, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. Um, it has certainly been one of the hardest things for me, uh, in terms of, of personal growth as, um, an employer and as a coworker. Um, I think that, you know, it's, it's kept me very efficient. So when I'm working, I'm just, I'm focused, I'm working, I'm in front of my computer, I'm not getting up, I'm on the phone. Um, I'm also an extrovert. So I get my energy from being around other people and not being able to sort of build that water cooler talk bond with my, with my employees was sort of in the beginning, very frustrating for me. Um, I wanted to have that rapport. And I think a couple years into the company, I just realized, you know what, I need to build that locally where I am in Charleston and just be the best partner, collaborator, um, coworker, employer I can be um, from Charleston. And it's, I, I think the, the moment I gave up that pressure on myself, it, it became a lot more enjoyable. And I think for, for both sides, for all sides. Um, but there are definitely times where I'm just like the voice on the phone you know, <laughs> in a team meeting and everyone else is together and I'm the one on the conference call saying, hey, excuse me, what are we talking about? Or, you know, and I and I definitely try to be mindful of of compliment sandwiches because it's it's not fun to have a voice on the phone. That's always they're solely critical. Right. So let me talk about all the good things everyone is doing first before we kind of improve and work on and edit what's you know, needs to be fixed. Cause it's very easy when you just get on the phone, you have an hour, you want to get right down to it. Um, mm -hmm. that doesn't feel good. So, um, it's being mindful of, um, you know, trying to gauge people's feelings without witnessing them in person. Um, mm -hmm. which is also, you know, kind of another byproduct. Basically 
being a remote leader is not ideal, but you can make it work. <laughs> is what I've learned. Well, it also, and also, go ahead. I think having the, guard, the guards on site, I mean, the guards really have, have taken the lead on sort of being the office team leaders. Um, and they're wonderful at that and, 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 and built a great rapport and, and everybody kind of, you know, um, loves having them there too. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know if this would have worked if I had not had them able to kind of pop into the Atlanta office in person. Mm-hmm. You also touched on equality and I, it certainly resonated with me because I think I am similar in the sense that it sounds like we move pretty fast and we want to get right down to business and um, it's hard to kind of fill the space with the fluff when you have like a really long to-do list and things that you have to execute on. Um, And I heard something recently about just how you kind of have to switch gears and you realize like where other, what gear other people are in, in that moment, like when they're talking about their week and you can't just jump in and say like, did this happen? Um, But I'm glad you mentioned that because it just, it certainly resonated with me. Um, Oh, it's, it's so true. And you know, I think, I think for me as a result, and you know, you're, I think it's, it's different for you since you, I know are on site with your team. Um, but I don't have that. I, you know, I have a great rapport with them when I visit and I try to visit, you know, at least once a month for a night or two. Um, so I do get that on site. And I think for, especially for long meetings or important meetings, I, I make effort to, to get over there. Um, but we've sort of gotten into this groove now with the, the team that's there, who's been there now a couple of years and we're all just, it, everyone kind of um, is really just in comfortable where they are in a good place. And I think it's, it's um, there's no expectation anymore that it's going to be different, which is great. Mm-hmm. I'd love to dive a little bit into balance as a woman entrepreneur with two adorable little kids. Um, has it been difficult or, or what are some practices that you've put in place to really be able to be present, um, at home as well? So I think, you know, one of the, 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 the positives of working remotely has been my ability to be flexible throughout the day. And I love it. And I, I don't know if I would trade it for the world because I'm able to, you know, Ted is, is my husband's great at getting the kids off to school in the morning after we get them breakfast and dressed. So he drops them off and I sit down with a cup of coffee at my breakfast table and, and really kind of my, my productive time is morning. So I don't get up from eight till call it, you know, noon, one, two, three, depending on the day. Um, and what I do love and, and important to me as, as, as being a mother is, is pick up from school. So I try to make sure I do pick up in person unless I have a scheduled meeting, um, and spend that time with them in the afternoon. Um, and then by like five, six, I'm kind of itching for a little adult interaction grown up time. So you have an early dinner with a girlfriend or meet Ted for a movie or a glass of wine and then try to be back by bedtime. So I don't think, you know, obviously, um, there's no such thing as balance or perfect balance. Um, there are days and weeks and months when it's very work heavy. And then there are days and weeks and months when it's very kid heavy. Um, and, uh, I adapt and just make sure that I have really quality time with my boys, with Ted, um, and at work on work every day, however that shows up and it's different every day. I love that. And I love also just, hearing that there's there's not that perfect balance. And I think part of 
some of the conversation about is just the pressure that, you know, everyone can put on themselves of like, how, how am I going to manage it all? Um, and just this underlying pressure that there is such thing and it's refreshing to hear there's not. Yeah, totally. And I actually find I'm, I'm somebody and I actually might hypothesize most people are this way that I'm more productive when I'm busy. And if I don't have anything to do, if I was not a working mother and instead was, was I personally, if I was a stay-at-home mom, I would feel like I would be less productive or less get less done because or less time or less quality time with them because I, I, I wouldn't be actively kind of passionate and pursuing something I love and, and energized by that. Um, so I personally think I'm a better mom because I am focused and with them and excited and happy and fulfilled from being able to work the other part of the day. Definitely. I love that. Thanks for sharing. Uh, just a couple more questions before we wrap things up, Molly. Um, how do you stay inspired? How do I stay inspired? I, so I think, I don't know, there's uh, you know, social media. I, I think I get a lot of inspiration from what I see lots of brands I admire doing in other industries, not in the children's industry, even in, in, in fashion and in tech, in adult kind of accessories, Warby Parker comes to mind with, you know, started by a college friend of Ted's and mine. Um, I, you know, in order, you know, I think one of the things that we've done now seven years in is, is to have a successful business. It's all about kind of perseverance and what that next step is. It's not one decision we've made. It's lots of little decisions. Um, and so everything from what's the next photo shoot we're doing, what's the next collection of colors or patterns, or if we do something outside of sunglasses, what's our next product extension? Um, what are companies we want to partner with? Every single one of those decisions is an opportunity to sort of look to the outer world for inspiration. Um, and I get really jazzed about that. So staying agile, staying lean and, and flexing and adapting and pivoting based on what we see works. Um, and entrepreneurship for me has been a lot of, especially in the beginning, let's just throw a bunch of stuff at the wall. Let's try, let's try <laughs> like, here's 10 grand. Let's spend it across these 10 things, see which has the greatest ROI and then double, triple, quadruple down on the, the product, the products, projects that have worked. Um, and we do that again and again, and then just, you know, continue to do the things and the roots and the products that generate that greater ROI, um, for us or return on investment. Great. Well, outside of following all of the Baby Eater social media accounts, and if I didn't say that, I don't think I'd be doing a good job at what we do, but how can people get in touch with you, Molly, and learn more about Baby Eaters and your journey? Um, I mean, you know, there's certainly, I've got my own personal account. If people want to reach out to me, I'm happy to answer questions or, you know, if they want to send them to you, we can do a Q and A. Um, uh, how they can reach out to me. Babyators.com has all of our emails too. You could reach out to me via Babyators. Um, and I, you know, I love one of the things I'm personally most excited about uh, outside of Babyators is connecting with and mentoring and brainstorming with other female entrepreneurs. So it's genuinely something that I spend a lot of time doing. And um, Charleston has a great community here of active female creatives and um, and entrepreneurs. So it's, you know, that's another source of inspiration for me, speaking of 
of inspiration. There's a lot of smart, badass women like yourself that get me kind of excited to keep doing what I'm doing. Great. Well, thank you so much, Molly. I really appreciate you being on the show. Of course. It was so much fun.